Hey, hey, Andy Neary here. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, think back to how you came upon this podcast. Maybe it was through a post, a share, or one of your own peers shared this podcast with you. I don't take any ads. I don't take any sponsorships. The only way this podcast grows is through word of mouth. So if you would be so kind to share this with a peer, with a teammate, with a friend, a family member, I would be forever grateful to you. This is how we impact more business professionals, and this is how this podcast grows. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, hey, welcome back to Bullpen Sessions. I am excited today. I have... One of the health insurance industry thought leaders out there joining me today, Scott Smith, founder, CEO of True Advisors, True Network Advisors, I should say. Scott, welcome to Bullpen Sessions. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Um, And you can just call it True for short. And the CEO was, I bestowed upon myself when I was starting the company to to get people to answer my email. So it feels good. I've done the same thing. I'm CEO yeah. of complete game consulting. There's nobody else though. So <laughs> I get it. Well, Hey, I know a lot of people know who you are in the industry, especially employee benefit advisors, but I actually want to start way before you launched true in 2016. And I'm going to go all the way back. You grew up in Guntersville, Alabama. Is that true? That's true. Technically a suburb. I don't think you can have a suburb of a town this small, but I grew up in a town called Claysville, uh, population probably 400, maybe, um, a very rural part of Al- Northern Alabama. Okay. So I am curious. Um, let's just kick off with having some fun here. When I was doing a little research on you, this is how I found you. You know how I found you were from Guntersville, Alabama? I Online, Scott, there is actually the 1988-1989 Alabama Huntsville University basketball annual brochure or, or what a media right. guide still out on the internet. Wow. That's how I found you were out from Guntersville. So for the folks who have no clue where Guntersville is, what is one little known fact about Guntersville? Oh, Guntersville, the largest lake in the state of Alabama, uh, around 69,000 square acres, um, a, a premier bass fishing, large mouth bass fishing lake. So probably eight or 10 uh, of the most well-known pro bass fishermen live here. Mm. Um, and I would say it's one of the most beautiful places in the country. And that is not hyperbole. It is nestled in the very, very trailing foothills of the Appalachians, um, on a lake on the Tennessee river, very, very lush. You get a lot of rain here. So it's almost like a subtropical environment. One of the very few in that's not in the tropics. So it's hot and moist. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And the fact you're saying here, I assume you're, according to your LinkedIn profile, you're still in Guntersville? Mm, yeah. I spent okay. most of my per- professional career in Birmingham. Okay. Well, I say most. It's equal now. I've been home for about 12 years, which is about the amount of time I spent growing a, a benefit agency in Birmingham. Okay, cool. Yeah. I wouldn't have never, I would have never thought, when you think of the Appalachian Mountains, I would not have put Alabama in that conversation. So, yeah. I, I hope I said that right. I'm pretty sure, with, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it's the very, it could be the blue. Well, you know what? Technically, it's probably the Blue Ridge, but the Blue Ridge are part of the Appalachians. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, part of this podcast is interviewing industry experts who also have, you know, a history of sports and athletics in their, in their genes. And I'm curious because, you, you know, you had, you played a little college basketball at mm-hmm. um, Alabama Huntsville University. Yeah. And in a state that is so known for football. 
Yeah. How did basketball become your sport? I was skinny. Uh, that was number one. Um, you know, probably when a lot of us that were a little bit older grew up, there, there was no really specialization. And so we went from baseball to basketball to football year round in the Southeast. And that I grew up playing those three sports was probably a better baseball player than anything. But my father was um, really pushed me to baseball and I played it from about four years old until, you know, every summer. And in high school, I got tired of it. Um, and I really just liked basketball more. Um, and I was a pretty good high school basketball player. I wasn't great by any means. I actually blossomed after high school, um, but ended up uh, playing tennis. And so I, dropped, I dropped baseball and football for basketball and tennis in high school. Tennis because there were cute girls that wanted me to play. And I was a very shallow child, a very, very shallow kid growing up. Um, and, you know, it really just turned into, I was, I liked basketball more than any other sport. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, as I said, I said at the beginning of the show, I actually found the 1988-89 media guide for, for uh, mm -hmm. uh, Alabama Huntsville. And when you look at playing, you know, what, when you look back at your career playing at Huntsville, like, I'm always curious with an athlete's perspective on this. You know, when you look at college sports, no matter what the sport is, every athlete coming to the college was probably a hometown hero of some sort where they came from, right? All county, all state, whatever. What was that transition like for you playing, you know, high school basketball in Guntersville, Alabama to now playing at Alabama Huntsville? I think a D2 program at the time, but it had mm -hmm. to still be, you know, quite, I don't say quite, but definitely a jump from, the competition you were used to. Oh, sure. I, you know, I had a really unique experience, Andy. Like I said, I was an, I was an average to good. Uh, I was not a hero. I wasn't the, I was not the best player on our high school team. Um, we actually had really, really good high school teams with huge crowds, uh, signing autographs. Um, we have a little, we have a rich basketball history uh, here in my little town of Gunnersville, Alabama. And I was okay. You know, I was a, a decent little player. Um, I grew about an inch and gained about 15 pounds about three months after I graduated high school. So I was still in high school and was playing summer leagues and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'll never forget we were playing a pickup game in the gym in our local gym after high school, the season was over and I came down and I, and I jumped up and I dunked, I had like a rebound dunk and my high school coach stopped, he blew the whistle and stopped this pickup game. And was like, I was like, where was that three months ago? Um, so my transition was more, I was a way better player. And so I was better equipped to handle the competition. The big change for me was really, there was no crowd. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we practiced early in the morning, squeaking of the shoes. You would go play, you know, Valdosta State or Columbus College or, and there might be 50, sometimes 100 people in the crowd. You have to really love basketball and love sports to put in the time, effort, and energy to practice, go to school, all that kind of fun stuff. Because it's just like high school was there, there was, there was more pomp and circumstance than there was in college. So I think I had, that's probably unique to my experience though. No, you bring up a really good point. I had, um, an advisor on a few weeks ago, Chris Carter, he owns an agency in Houston and he spent seven years in the NFL as a defensive back. And he grew up playing Texas high school football. Mm. And then he said the exact same thing you did when I said, what was the biggest change for you going from Texas high school football to playing at the University of Texas, thinking there'd be this big epiphany, right? He's like, no, 
it, I realized how many guys who came into Texas from out of state weren't ready for the bright lights of Longhorn football. But when you play high school football in Texas, it's that mm-hmm. way every Friday night. Right. Yeah. And, and that's Friday a really good lights. point. I could actually see if you grew up in a bad, it'd be like probably playing high school basketball in Indiana. Yeah, a little bit like that. The entire town shows up and then you go play at a college where it's just not as big of a deal and, and you struggle to get fans. I could see that being a, a problem. Yeah, you just really have to love the sport. You really feel, um, you know, I felt after a couple of years, I was like, I don't love this as much as I thought I did. You know, UAH is an engineering school. So to accommodate the engineering students on the basketball team, our practices were at 630 in the morning. And that was just no fun, you know, and being 19 and getting up at 6 a.m. to make a 630 practice and then studying and for for not a lot of accolades. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, if when you're watching college athletics, fans are so critical. Um, and these are kids. You, you look at an 18, 19, 20 year old kid. That is still a kid. And, you know, I'm in a football crazy state, as you mentioned. If you can imagine a 19 year old in Brian Denny Stadium, just running a go route in that stadium with 100,000 people screaming under the lights, <laughs> trying to catch a football. Most of the fans that really want to do that could not catch one with nobody else on the field with them. And well, I guess that's why we're called fanatics because that's what fans are. But, you know, it was, you know, I enjoyed my time. I don't, I grew up pretty poor and sports was a way for me, was a way out for me. Um, It was a way out of my circumstance on a daily, on a day-to-day basis with not a great home life. It provided me friends that I would not have had access to uh, and parents of those friends that I would not have had access to. So for, for me, sports was really a salvation. Like, I don't know where I would be without, I mean, being blessed with some sort of athletic ability. Yeah, I love how you said the, the whole fanatic, fanaticism thing. I was just having this conversation with my dad over the weekend. My nephew just graduated. He's going to be playing college baseball. And I talked, I told my dad how crazy it is that a hu- an adult would choose to berate an athlete, a high school or college athlete. Mm-hmm during a game, whether that's baseball or football, because if you just take away the sport and the, the context for a second, you are a 48, 50, 55 year old adult ripping eight and 18 year old to shreds. Yep. Think about that for a second. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're, by the way, your whole comment about the practice schedule resonated because I went to UW Milwaukee and I remember my freshman year stepping into a, uh, the elevator to go to the dorm. We had our baseball uniform on from fall, fall practice. And the people in the, in the elevator said, we have a baseball team and <laughs> our practices were just the opposite of you. We practiced at 1030 at night oh. to accommodate the basketball program in the, in the winter months. And we wouldn't get out of it until 1230 in the morning. So I totally get it, mm-hmm. man. Well, here's a question I love asking everybody that is in the industry. Cause most of us did not get in by design. So your college basketball career is over. You move on to greater things. How did you find your way into the insurance industry? Total accident. Um, I uh, took a circuitous route to, <laughs> to insurance. I bounced around a couple of different colleges, ended up in Atlanta, Georgia. My mom and her uh, my stepdad at that time had moved to Atlanta with my younger brother. And it was just sort of natural to end up there looking for a job. And I was working for a little marketing company, placing ads in newspapers. I'm dating myself there, but my job was to place classified ads and newspapers and track, you know, which newspaper perform, ad performed better and try to, uh, 
drive results that way. And I was playing softball with a guy that he ended up saying, you know, I think it'd be pretty good um, in, in my profession. And I said, what is that? He said, I'm a financial planner. Now, little did I know he totally tricked me. I mean, he was selling life insurance. Um, but I went for an interview with New England Financial. That's uh, how I that started my a, career, man. At New England? Well, wow. So 1995, um, I went to a martini lunch. I did not have a suit. He told me I had to wear a suit to lunch. So I had to go buy a suit. I went to this martini lunch where they drank and had steak. And I thought, this is the best thing ever. Like, whatever they offer me, I'm taking it. They offer me a straight sales you know, commission job with the TAP program validation and all the stuff that was going on. And, um, I, and then, then short story, I, long story short, I started my way into employee benefits because I was terrible at selling life insurance. And there was a guy named Paul Lee who came in the office. He had a corner office. He drove a Mercedes. He was tan all the time. He was always smiling. And after about a year, I was like, Paul, now tell me what group specialist means. What does it mean? Like, I don't even know what that means. And he told me how to sell small group health insurance. New England had a, a group product at that time that was administered by health plan services in Tampa. And he literally showed me how to cold call for small group health insurance. That that's cliff noting that, but that's how I got in the industry. When you meet somebody, cause you and I have only conversed a couple of times and I, something about that person resonates with you. There was something about you that resonated with me. And I know now what, what one of those things was you and I had literally the same start to our career. So I started in new England financial in 2000. Two, one, no, 2001. So it was right before September 11th. Hmm. I got out because the guy who hired me had a heart attack. He had to retire a week later. The sales manager leaves. So I had nobody. And I can remember at that time, Scott, I was given two pieces of advice, which was dye my hair gray. So I looked more credible and go buy lunch at go, go join a country club. I couldn't afford. Cause that's where the CEOs hang out. Now my career then progressed. I leave, go to federated insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I left Federated is I hated selling life insurance. <laughs> I would meet all the other numbers in commercial and benefits, and I hated life insurance, and I stunk at it. And that's why I ended up getting into benefits. That's so cool. It's such a similar path. It's so cool to hear that. So let's fast forward. Mm-hmm. Here you are. What made you go from, okay, I'm running a benefits team, because I think you then moved on to, I saw, you know, Northwest uh, insurance of Alabama, SS Nebsit. Mm. What made you go, okay, I'm going to transition from selling insurance to creating, what do I want to call it? An environment, true, where mm-hmm. I'm actually going to coach train the industry to build better agencies. Man, what le- immaturity led to that? I'm going to, I mean, I'm being a little tongue in cheek there, but we, we had sold our agent, I was a partner in an agency, Northwestern Benefits of Alabama, and we sold that agency to SS Nesbitt, which is now Valent, um, a, a really good uh, regional agency based out of Birmingham. And part of the reason they purchased us is they wanted me to be the practice leader. They had a couple of good producers and they wanted me to pr- be the practice leader. And it all sounded great and wonderful. Um, it, it was a, a little bit of a toxic environment once the acquisition was sort of settled and I was not mature enough to handle it. Well, um, I, I, no doubt I helped contribute to that toxic. I wouldn't say I contributed to the toxicity. I just did not have the management and leadership skills at that time 
to navigate my way through it. And I just left. I kind of quit. I was like, you know what? This is not working. I'm not having any fun. I was going through some things in my personal life as well that probably led to that immaturity as well. And so I took some time off and then took a little consulting gig for another local Birmingham based company, which also wasn't a great fit. And I was really searching for what my next thing was going to be. Um, you know, I'd made a little money on the sale of the business, but not, I mean, not retirement money, um, basically enough to buy some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was looking at, I had a couple of unique offers for some national platforms. Um, I think I can say this. It's uh, um, USI had a, an offer to run Alabama and maybe even the Southeast for USI. Um, was pretty far down that interview path, you know, being offered the job. And on one of the closing interviews for that, had already been offered the job. And I'm glad they did this. They said, you know what, let's, let's have one more meeting because I want us to talk about the reporting that's going to be required so you really understand that part of the position. And they went through the reporting requirements. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be a good, a good employee anymore. There's just no way. Um, and I had some really good friends that owned independent agencies around the country. And we had had a study group in the past, a very, very tight eight firms, independent agency study group. Um, we actually, you know, shared employee navigator together a long time ago. You know, we purchased employee navigator. Oh gosh. Liz Freyer is one of my best friends. Might've been the third or fourth agency to ever purchase employee navigator from George Reese. I'll tell you a story about being in the pool with George when he told me the idea of employee navigator. Uh, that's a good story for later. But um, we were having a reunion with um, that study group and they were bemoaning the lack of collaboration. We hadn't met as a study group in two years. Everybody was off doing their thing. Uh, a couple of them were, were actively looking to join other groups. Um, I won't name their names, but, you know, you know, big groups that are kind of like associations today that people would know. And they were like, you know, it was some good people that just, it's not, the culture is not right for us. You know, it just so happened that eight of those, uh, out of the eight study group members, four of them were female owned. And uh, they was like, you know, it's a bunch of, no offense, Scott, it's a bunch of old white guys sitting around playing golf, smoking cigars. That's not, that's not us. Anyway, they looked and as a joke, one, two of them turned to me and said, Scott, you're not doing anything right now. Why don't you start one of these? And um, we laughed. And about three or four weeks later, I was like, you know, I've got to do something. Um, and I don't want to start another agency and I don't want to take a job. And I, I said, you know, let me research this. So I, I researched the existing association type groups that were out there. I interviewed agencies. I went to carriers and, and vendors that were part of those to ask them about it. And it seemed like there was a place for a benefit person. None of these at the time were actually operated or owned by a lifelong EB nerdy person. You know, I've done everything there is to do in benefits. You know, I've done it all. And there just wasn't that out there. And it seemed like we could build a little bit better mousetrap, right? Sort of an agency first collaborative group that just existed to help each other grow. And, you know, I'll add this one part and then we can push on, but, I, you know, I was going to stop at 25 agencies. I did not have, I did not plan and strategize around all that's happened over the past seven or eight years of my life. It was, I was going to build a lifestyle business with 25 agencies, never hire another employee, live at the lake, watch my kids grow up. Um, that was the plan. Uh, and it obviously has taken off much more than that, but 
That's a long-winded, but 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 somewhat short version of that story. Well, but I love that you finished with that because it actually leads to a really good question I'd love to ask you since you support agencies and you help them in their growth. Hi, it's Andy Neary, and thank you for listening to the Bullpen Sessions podcast. Did you know the ideas shared on this show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you're an insurance professional and you want to turn your credibility into consistent client acquisition, visit completegameconsulting.com and schedule a free strategy call. Again, that's completegameconsulting.com to request your free strategy call. All right, let's jump back into today's podcast episode. There is a, I heard, I've heard some people I follow outside the industry talk about, there's two types of entrepreneurs out there. There's an achievement entrepreneur an achievement-driven entrepreneur, and a lifestyle-driven entrepreneur. The achievement entrepreneur is the one who wants to scale the business, right? To, to kind of mm-hmm. see how, how, how far they could go. A lifestyle-driven entrepreneur is somebody who builds it to a certain point so it pays for the lifestyle, and they're good. They're happy. Mm-hmm. When you look at our industry in general, you get a chance to talk to a lot of, of agency principals, work with a lot of agency principals, what are your thoughts on that? Is it, is it for the people listening in? Is it okay to be a lifestyle entrepreneur where you grow your agency to a certain point, and just kind of let it be what it is from there, or should more agency owners be driven to achieve and see what their agency is fully capable of? It's a great question, and I do spend a lot of time, probably more than you might think, on this very topic. We have eighty-one members now of true 81 member agencies it's a lot more than 25 <laughs> it's a lot more than 25 and adding about 12 to 15 a year um the i talk to a lot of agencies who are lifestyle entrepreneurs who think they want to be driven and to scale their business when you really dig 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 they really don't they just think they're supposed to i don't think there's a right answer or one way it is a wonderful And I mean, wonderful industry where you can build a lifestyle business for yourself. And I mean, build a seven figure lifestyle business for yourself and have uh, time with your family, uh, complete autonomy and decision-making authority. Um, We get trapped. We're in such a, you know, now, now urgent goal oriented (laughs) achievement society that I think everybody sees that. And they're like, I want to do that. And quite frankly, there aren't a lot of people who are built to be achievement entrepreneurs. They're just not, they don't have a skill set. They've really got to step back and work on some skills. And so I I don't think there's anything wrong. Uh, Matter of fact, I applaud those lifestyle business owners who identify, hey, this is me. I I want to grow now at four, six percent per year. I'm going to put a plan in place for that. I'm not going to chase these shiny objects over here. It doesn't mean that you're not growth oriented, that you're not innovative. It just means that you said, you know what, this is me and this is what I want for, for my family. Um, I spend an awful lot of time on that, man. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I think what the, what I, the word that words that come to mind are self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? Know who you are. Cause I, I hear it on our end too. We see a lot of advisors who think they've got to be achievement oriented. They want to get, they want to have the results everybody else has, they don't want to put the time and effort into getting there. They're happy where they're at at the end of the day. And that's okay. I had a chance to have dinner at an event a couple of weeks ago with a CEO of a, one of the larger 
organizations in our industry. And he was telling me a story from how, from how he and his co-founder started this thing, now built it into a 4,000 employee organization with a billion dollars of revenue. Not everybody's built for that. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. If you, if you want your book to be a certain size, so it affords you the lifestyle you wanted to live, nothing wrong with that. No harm, no foul, but it's about self-awareness. We could do a whole show on self-awareness. Man. Actually, I actually want to start to, I want to go there a little bit because <laughs> that that's what triggered when you said that. I think about your own path. You talked about being self-aware as a basketball player. You talked about being self-aware as where you made mistakes as you started in the industry. When you look at our industry, Scott, because you work with 81 agencies now, how important is self-awareness to have success in this business? Man, it's just more of a life skill. I, I think I would talk more life than this business, first of all. My, I, I can probably narrow it down to this business too, but it's, I am still shocked at how not self-aware a lot of people are so much so that I, I probably spend too much time thinking about my own. Um, cause I can, I do think you can overdo anything. I'm constantly talking to my team. Red Burns is right over there. Our creative director behind the camera. He knows this. I mean, I'm doing a, a check on my self-awareness meter because I, I have holes. I mean, there's no way that we get it right. Um, I do think I'm pretty good and I, I, it's, I'm purposeful, intentional about it. It's, I think some of it is in your DNA. Some of it, you, you're just built that way. And the rest of it is hard work. It's like anything else that's worthwhile. It's having the courage um, to self-assess. It's having the courage to listen, listen to people's criticism of you or feedback openly and honestly. Um, a, a new friend, Dave Klein, just you know, recently had a, a social media post that said, uh, that said, basically, it's a gift. Like feedback's a gift. And anytime someone is courageous enough to give you feedback, positive, negative, whatever, just openly take it. It doesn't mean you have to agree with it, but you also doesn't, you have to, don't have to repel it if you don't like it. It is hard. I, self-awareness is one of the hardest things, I think, for human nature. Uh, it obviously helps in business. I think, you know, really self-aware people in sales, right? Probably, um, you know, empathy and things like that, that are, it's hard to fake some of the, some of those skills and without self-awareness, I don't know how you get there. Yeah. So and I, I ramble I, through that. Andy, no, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I didn't intend to go there today with the self-awareness thing. But when you said what you said, I was like, this is actually a great topic to jump off on because I see, I agree with you. I think just society in general today, there's a, a, a big lack of self-awareness. And you know I was going to say, this is one of the hard things about um, when you're really doing work on yourself. On one hand, I talk all the time about not paying attention to what people think about you or me, being yourself, being your real self, not, not be comparison driven, all those things. But yet a lot of the self-awareness exercise is like, how am I coming off? How, how, how do people see me? That's a, that's a, it's like threading the needle sometimes. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think they have to be a certain somebody or they have to act a certain way to establish credibility in this business or win business. And 
our goal, I, I look at our objective at Complete Game is to, to help people grow a business they are proud of being the best version of themselves. And that starts with self-awareness. Know who you are, but also know who you are not. I had a conversation with an advisor who was looking at taking one of our workshops and she flat out admitted to me, given my current constraints, I do not believe in my ability to, to, to follow through on what you're going to teach me. I said, as much as I hate hearing that, if you know that's who you are today, thank you for being self-aware. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you this question now that we're on the topic. I'd be curious because, again, you are working with dozens of agencies and you get to see agencies in all shapes and sizes. If I were to start an agency today or you, you were to build a new agency today, what advice would you give to me or anybody who was going to start an agency in 2023? What do I need to do, Scott, to be successful? That's a big question. Um, Let me answer that. This might be a creative way to answer that question because I'm going through an exercise right now. We have what we call an innovation lab at True, where we try to keep our advisors and their teams ahead of the competition. And people... We work with agencies all the time in their in their business model, right? So typically in employee benefits, there there's two primary business models, but versions of these, right? You're either in a consultant model where the producer is also uh, the consultant, and this is the most common model, right? You've got somebody we both know and work with, Chris Hamilton, is a producer, but he's a consultant. He's the brains. He's leading the strategy conversation. He's managing a book of business as the producer consultant. But then we also have sort of a growing number of sell and drop agencies where people are hiring producers to just sell. And then they drop that account once they sell it into an account management team, a consulting team, and they might relationally stay involved, but they're not doing any work. And, you know, one of the the big things, this, this is really tactical, but if I was starting an agency, I would determine which one of those models that I was going to use. I would build my organizational chart out uh, a couple of years in the future and work towards hiring through that chart. Um, I think so many, so many agencies are where they are today by accident. You know, you have great salespeople who really know benefits, who sell their way into an agency. They're like, wait, I've sold $1.2 million in business. I guess I have an agency now. Well, they just have a block of business, really. They're really not an agency. Who cares what you call it? But if you want to scale it, um, you know, I would, I would work towards understanding what my go-to-market strategy would be. I would build out job descriptions based on, on that. And I would work towards hiring from that. That's maybe a bigger answer than you wanted, man. No, I think, again, this is all full circle because I love what you just said. Cause I think this is what happens a lot in our industry is a, an advisor starts out as a producer, sells a lot of business and eventually says, I don't want to share the commissions anymore with my company. I'm just going to go do this myself. And so they do. And then they realize there's a whole nother side of this called running a business, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is very different than selling insurance. And I think what we have today is we do have a lot of agency principals who are really good at selling insurance, but may have some weaknesses in running a business. And that comes back to self-awareness because when I say, okay, Scott, what was it, what does it take to run a successful agency today? I got to believe it starts with self-awareness. Know yeah, what you're I mean, good at, know what you're not and yeah. hire for your weaknesses. 
and I think some people are just, I think I was good at that. I mean, I, there, I was good at knowing what I was not good at and not wanting to do it and hiring people. And I think some people have some control issues maybe, but, um, you know, I was a good salesperson. I think I still am basically a salesperson at heart. So when you looked at my agency, we had a director of consulting who did all the heavy lifting on the consulting and a, and a director of account management who managed the account management and an operations director, all the things I didn't want to touch, we just went and hired somebody. Most of them smart, way smarter than me in those areas and self-awareness knowing that I'm still pretty good at um, strategic thinking, building consensus, gaining trust really quickly. Um, like, I think I know the things that I'm, that are my strong suits and now know the things that I'm not very good at. Um, but, but also, I also think people fail sometimes around being afraid to hire people smarter than them. Mm. You know, I mean, you just can't be afraid to do that. You have to be able to hire people smarter than you. They can't do the things that I do. I mean, this, you know, this, so you're not afraid to jump on stage and speak to people. It's so it's just whatever reason it's in your DNA. It's in mine too. I'm not nervous when I go speak, but it's the number one fear on the planet, right? Is public speaking. Don't ask. I don't want to go work in Excel. You know, I don't want to go uh, sort of deep dive into processes and procedures. So yeah, self-awareness and willing to hire smart people in those areas is, you know, when I, when I interview people as we're having the conversation, the idea for the title of the podcast often pops up as we're talking. And I think we just uncovered it, which is two secrets to growing a thriving agency. Cause I believe self-awareness is number one. Another one you often talk about, which I would love to have you hit upon is kindness. Mm-hmm. You use that word a lot in the conversations I've had with you. It's come up and talk about that a little bit. What, what does kindness mean to you when it comes to creating a good culture, running a good business? Uh, how has that impacted your business and how do you think it could impact others? I'll start with life first and then drill down. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of been in vogue the past, I don't know, the word kindness even got, got popular in the last five or 10 years. Um, the, what it means to me is, is it's not complex, man. I mean, you know, it's, it's treating other people in a way that you would like to be treated with no expectation, no expectation, right? It's just being kind to people. The, so this is kind of what happened. And some of this was intentional. Some of it was not, um, I think we, again, when we're talking about self-awareness, um, so my, my underlying corporation name, right? The actual company name is, is K-K-A-W Inc. It stands for kindness. Kindness always wins. Um, also sounds like a bird call when you say it. podcast coming near you, Kakao podcast coming soon near you. Um, and because it was silly, um, and I, you know, I do believe when you, when you name something, it's like when you give a product a name, a process a name, it means more when I, when you go on record of saying kindness is part of your very being, it's in your DNA, it forces you to be kind. And I'm not saying I need to force, I need to be forced to be kind. I think we all sometimes need to have whatever that thing is front and center. And so the first several years um, of, of really having kindness as part of the true DNA I would have to call people back. I'd have a phone call with them and I would either be snippy or just not listen or whatever. I would get off the phone and I would call them back and I would say, listen, apologies. It was not kind. I just did not respond, respond in a kind way to that. And if I don't correct it really quickly, I'm not living up to 
who I want to be. And I, I do I don't want it to be sound overly saccharine, saccharine sweet, um, or overly altruistic. Because it's not like I don't want to trounce my competition. It's not like I don't want to win. It's not like I don't want to be great at things. It's not like we never have conflict. But I think in general, if you really treat people with kindness, it just comes back. I was talking to my daughter. Uh, my oldest is 24 now and a little bit woo-woo sometimes. Um, and she was talking about karma. And I told her, I said, Madeline, I don't, I don't think I believe in karma, actually. And she said, what do you believe in? And I said, well, I mean, I do believe that if I'm kind to people without wanting anything in return, and I'm continually over and over, I make all these decisions to be kind to people, and I just keep stacking those up, I think it comes back to you. And she was like, well, that's karma, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if that's what we want to call it. So, you know, I don't know, man. It's, it's you, you want to take the time to be good to people. I think you want to take extra time to be good to people who need it. I think if you're paying attention, you can find some people who sometimes you can just tell they need kindness. They need kind of words. They need some love. They need some affection. And it keeps you in check. Um, Cause goodness knows we, like I need it. You know, I am, you know, one of the more sensitive people, like a lot of people don't see that side of me, but I need kindness so it might be one of those things I'm having a self-awareness moment in the moment um, that, you know, when you give advice, if you catch yourself giving advice to people, it's usually you giving advice to yourself. 100%. You're not giving it to them. You give it to yourself. Maybe I know that I needed more kindness. So I'm being kind to people too. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, it forces it, what you said though, is it forces you to be constantly gut checking yourself. And I know that principle sounds so simple. Be kind. Yeah, I get it. But I'll tell you, I mean, when you look around the industry, I know a lot of people I've been introduced to that are put up on a pedestal for lack of better words. And you kind of dig it and you see it behind the scenes. You don't see kindness. You don't, you, you see the way they treat people. I, I know advisors who will treat carrier reps like crap just to get what they want. And it's mm -hmm. like, that's not how you win this game. It might, it might've allowed you to win that battle, but you're never going to win the war doing that. And I think, you know, I'm so glad we had this conversation, Scott, because Again, I bring it back to, I didn't intend this to be the topic of today's conversation, but I guess the topic is, hey, you want to build a thriving agency today? You want to have a successful book of business? It comes down to two things, self-awareness and kindness. And I know those sound overly simplistic, but it's both are very few and far in between these days. Yeah. And let me add something into that. Because as, as we were talking, uh, I think Brene Brown probably coined this or she got it from somebody, but, but the, the phrase clear is kind. Um, kind doesn't mean you have to sugarcoat things. Uh, Kind sometimes means telling people exactly how you feel and why. Some of the more, some of the tougher situations that I've been in in the past five years. So, for example, I butchered um, letting an employee go um, at True. Completely butchered it. It was not kind at all the way I did it. But what was not kind is I didn't set the appropriate expectations. I did not course correct behavior. I was not courageous enough to say to that person, these things are coming off this way. You got to stop doing those things. I skirted around it. Try, tried to massage it and talk around it and be nice. The kind thing would have been from the very beginning to say, hey, this is unacceptable. Let's try this. Let me try to coach you through that. I didn't do that. And I think the big missing part of kindness is 
Sometimes kindness is tough, but if you're doing it from the right place, it, it is, it's almost more valuable than the nice part of kindness. That, that, that clarity, it doesn't give you the, you know, the excuse to be a jerk, but it, people need it. I mean, people need, people just aren't, aren't courageous enough to have tough conversations with people and you're cheating that person out of improvement. Um, Anyway, that, that came to me as we were thinking about. No, it resonates because I was, I was on a podcast earlier today where I was, t- I was told, hey, Andy, you put a lot of positive content out there. And I told, I told the, the host, I kind of reminded the host, like positive has many different tones, but positive doesn't always mean unicorns and rainbows. Mm-hmm. Co- positive content can also be, I'm challenging you right now, but I'm doing mm-hmm. it because I love you and I want you to succeed. And that in turn is actually positive. It's the same thing with being kindness. If you're being clear and candid with somebody, even though it might be tough for them in the moment, you're being kind. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important no for people to establish. It's not all just rainbows and sunshines. That's not the definition <laughs> of kindness. So let's use this as an opportunity. We're going to wrap up uh, the show here, Scott. Tell us a little bit about True. For the advisors listening and who have no clue what it is, tell us what it is how they could reach out to you if they want to know more. This is your chance to, to, to give us a little inside view of the, of the True Network. Sure. Uh, so True Network is a collaborative group of benefit, benefit agencies uh, that work together to help each other be better. And then True itself then does a host of innovative things uh, to help them achieve their goals. You know, we have an agency first mentality, meaning every partnership, every program, every collaborative experience is done how does this help the member agencies? Like that's the litmus test that we, everything we do. And we talk about thing in three buckets. We talk about in the collaborative bucket. So we have events, both live and virtual. We have learning events and training events for the actual team members of the agencies. But then we also do uh, sales and retention events where we'll do virtual and in-person events where they can invite their, their clients and their prospects. Um, you know, we have a, a Slack channel internally that we all use that's, that's great you know, across the entire network. But there's a whole conversation around the collaborative experience. We have strategic partnerships with some 60-some-odd folks, everything from carriers like Mutual Omaha, Principal Guardian, et cetera, Employee Navigator, Mineral. There's 60-some of those where we have either discount pricing or other arrangements, some, some proprietary stuff. Um, and we have... We think we're innovative. We have a, a world-class compliance program that's part of what we do. That's really unlike any other in the country. We have a sales platform that's you know assessment-based. We're continually working on ways to help agencies be better. And then we wrap all that up in a culture of fun, uh, silliness, and laughter. You know, we have concerts after every event. I'm a big music guy, so we've got concerts after every event. For our virtual stuff, we do like cold open SNL type sketches to open every virtual event. We think we're hilarious. Um, it's not work hard, play hard, because I do not believe in that. Also, some of my peers do. It's work hard, but just enjoy yourself, right? Part of that's the kindness and the loving and kind of that family atmosphere. But the other is just, hey, don't take yourself too seriously. It's okay to be silly if you need to be silly. It's okay to be a serious, nerdy person if you want to be that, because that's you. Uh, so we're trying to love people, help them grow. Uh, typical agency is, you know, between one and 10 million in revenue, Um I could go on and on, man. True's my baby. It's, it's if almost somebody, If somebody's old. listening in and wants to learn more, what would be the easiest way to get in touch with you? Uh, Scott at truenetworkadvisors.com uh, or you can go to the website, truenetworkadvisors.com, hit the contact button. Um, that email will come to us. You can hit me on LinkedIn. Um, pretty easy to get a, get a hold of. I try to, 
unless it's a terrible uh, sales person solicitation. I'm, I try to get back to everybody. Um, so yeah, I, I always happy. And I, I will extend the offer. If you're an agency out there, say between half a million and a million in revenue, and you just want somebody in your corner, um, you know, we don't do a lot with agencies of that size, but I've got a little roster of what I would call incubator agencies that I'm available for consultation and ideas, the occasional Zoom, things like that, trying to help folks get better. That's awesome. Helping, kindness, love it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wrap up with a little rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask two very Scott Smith-specific questions, and then we're going to have fun with the last two based on uh, who you are and where you, where you grew <laughs> up and where you live. So okay. let's start with the, the, the two very Scott Smith-specific. If I were to get in a room with your best clients today, how would they describe Scott Smith in one word? They might say kind because I say it so much. Uh, caring. Hey, Britt, what do you think people would say with one word? If we went to the Jansons or Intrepids or some of our best clients, if they had to describe me in one word, what do you think they would say? Innovative. innovative. Britt innovative. says innovative. I like that. All right. Now we do this with our clients for branding. What makes Scott Smith unique? If I ne- if you needed to differentiate yourself from your competitors in your market, what makes Scott Smith unique? <laughs> Man, um, I know. See, we all think we're unique. I, I mean, really, we all do. Um, I I really am myself most times now, and I that is that is really unique, man. Like a lot of my career, I was trying to. Is this rapid fire enough? I'm giving you, can I give you explanation? Keep going. Keep going. Um, You know, I used to struggle with sort of uh, really strong, like type A men, kind of the cigar smoking military type. I just didn't feel like, I mean, I'd rather put me in a room with an HR director. Let me tell jokes and be funny and engaging because I thought that was my shtick. I'm just myself, man. Listen, I grew up playing basketball, listening to R&B and hip hop. Um, that's really part of who I am inside. That is part of my culture, right? Um, I like to tell people I'm only, like I'm almost transparently so white on the outside, but not so on the inside. Um, you know, I don't shy away from uh, being silly. Um, I just think that's that's part of it is that you have to be willing to to be yourself. So I think I'm outrageously myself, man. Outrage- um, I like that. Outrageously myself. I haven't yeah. heard that one yet. Cool. All right. Two more. Let's have fun with these two. You are a lover of music. In fact, as you said, you, you often bring music to your events, which I think is so cool. You get one opportunity to bring one band on stage at one of your events. Who's coming up on stage? Do they have, do they have to be alive? No. Oh, so Prince, I got to bring Prince back. Prince. Awesome. Yeah. All right. uh, Grew up to Prince. um, Incredible musician, artist, the soundtrack of my youth um, and he just died too young. I know he's got some 100%. stuff we've never even heard yet. Yes, 100%. I agree with that. If you grew up in the 80s and early 90s and you were into mm-hmm. hip-hop, Prince was your guy. Um, maybe the most important question, because this is going to air in the fall. It's college football season. Roll Tide or War Eagle? Roll Tide. Nice. Um, I mean, that's um, there are a few uh, War Eagle. It's, it's almost cultish, man, down here. Like when you're born... You choose sides. You don't talk about anything else. There's no pro sports here. It's 24 um, seven. I moved away for a while. Uh, to, I was in Atlanta for the first part of my career, moved back. And I was like, these people are crazy. And now I'm crazy too. 
Because you know what I want to do? Let me tell you, this is the only time I'll get not kind. I want Auburn to lose every game of every sport and every activity, debate, equestrian, swim. I hope they lose every single game from now until the end of the earth. And I know that's terrible. But when you live here, and you know what? I want them, I hope Auburn fans take, I hope they love it when Alabama loses because that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way. Well, and if you're tuning in, go back 10 minutes ago and remember what Scott said. The definition of kindness is also being clear. That was very clear, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) I have to tell you, I am more than excited because for the first time in history, Alabama is coming up to Wisconsin next year to play a home game in Madison. And as a season ticket holder, I am fired up for that. So, um, well, man, it's been a pleasure to have you. Um, anytime we, I, I can help you, uh, you can drop your knowledge on this audience. I am a grateful man for that. So, um, you are one of the true good ones in the industry. Kindness is a, definitely a word that would be associated with who you are. So again, thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I enjoy it. Happy to help in any way I can. Um, and if you, if you want to come to Tuscaloosa the year after that, when they I come know. back here, l- let me know. Absolutely. And I was going to extend the invitation for next year. Well, if you're tuning in, guys, uh, I hope you got a lot out of this. Uh, This is one of the thought leaders of the industry. If you're an agency owner and what Scott said with you uh, to you resonated, reach out. I'm going to put his contact info in the show notes and um, you can reach out and see if true is that that piece you're missing to take your agency to the next level. So be well. True love. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's podcast episode. Remember, if you found value in this episode, do me a favor, give it a like, share it, post about it, go subscribe to make sure you get every episode from us every single week. And my only ask from you is that if you have anybody in your life, whether it be a teammate, a peer, family member, or a friend, please share this podcast with them. That's how we grow. We only grow through word of mouth. And I would be forever grateful if you take the time to do that. All right. Now, it's time for you to take what you learned, and it's time for you to go out and share your message with the world. Execution, clarity, and consistency is everything. Be well.